God's word. It says, and he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be at the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to those, and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek save the loss. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak to us, uh, that you would open our, our hearts, open our eyes, so that we might behold wondrous things in your word. Uh, Lord, we need your spirit uh, to guide us to that end. So, Lord, meet with us in these moments, focus us, help us to to truly seek you in this time, seek you through your word, show us our Savior, show us Jesus, we ask in his name, amen. A wee little man and the all-powerful Savior. Well, this morning we do, we come to one of the more well-known stories, uh, not only from the earthly ministry of our Lord, but really... Uh, in all of the pages of Scripture, and especially in the pages of the New Testament. The story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. As you can probably imagine, I have spent the majority of this week uh, rehearsing this song in my mind over and over and over again. That song we learned in Vacation Bible School, that song we learned as children, and I went so far as to even work out all of the motions that I learned when I was a kid. Now, I'm not going to subject you to all of those motions now, but, but it is amazing how, you know, those type of things, the things that you learn when you're a kid, those motions, how they stick with you throughout life. Um, Denise and, and Miss Sandy, they uh, played um, Trust and Obey, and I can remember singing that song in youth choir uh, back in Chupelo when we were there. I, I learned that song there, and I can still sing every word to it, uh, and it's because I learned it then. You know, I've, I've been blessed to work with small kids who can't read or write, but who can recite long passages of Scripture because they've memorized it through singing, uh, through other kind of means. Uh, I've also been with adults whose cognitive abilities seem to be almost completely gone, but they can still sing to you the great hymns of, of our hymn book, and they can still recite to you great long passages of Scripture. And so my point is, is it's amazing the way that God uses the, the simplest of things, the, the simplest of means to apply and embed his truth in our hearts. It is a, a great grace that, that he gives to us, that he uses those things to, to give us God's words. That's part of the reason, just a side note, uh, that I'm, I'm wanting us to start singing again on Wednesday nights. It's just a great opportunity for our kids to learn those great hymns that we've all grown up singing to hide God's word in their heart, okay? Now, having said all of that, 
uh, as great as it is that, that we know these things, as beneficial as it is to us, we know when we come to stories like this, the danger is always that our familiarity with them, it breeds not so much a contempt, but, but an indifference or maybe even an arrogance uh, that can blind us to the depth and to the beauty and to the realities uh, that stories like these so often contain. You know, I figured out uh, those songs that we've sang, those stories that are so familiar to us, uh, people who are far wiser than me, and probably all of us, they put them to song, not because they were great stories to tell, not simply because, uh, and not because they were easy to put to a tune. They put them in song because they realized how essential it was for all of us to learn them and to know them and to see the truths that these type of stories contain. But you know, when you've heard them a thousand times, and particularly a story like Zacchaeus that, that is so associated with our children, when we hear this one, I think our, our uh, this MO is to come to it and sort of dismiss it out of hand, right? Uh, we know this. We, we've heard it. We can sing the song over and over and over again. Friends, I, I really want us to, to reconsider that, that approach today. Uh, as I've read through this week, it's amazing the things that, that have stood out in this passage that I had forgotten, frankly, that, that I, I had missed in other readings of it. Uh, just certain words, certain phrases that stand out. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that what this story is, is a story that we all need to hear over and over and over again. J.C. Ryle, in his commentator, commentary, he makes this point. It says, the story of Zacchaeus is a story we ought to read every day because it is a story of salvation. It is a story of sinful people like you and I and how God, through Christ Jesus our Lord, can do amazing things. In fact, we're going to see he can do the impossible. And so for all of us, no, no matter where you may be today, this is a story for you. And so I want us to approach it with fresh eyes, uh, with a fresh enthusiasm as we see this wee little man and his all-powerful Savior. So let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to notice in this passage is a sinful little man in a tree. A sinful little man in a tree. Now it's interesting to note, uh, just kind of from the start here, the relationship of this story to things that, that have come before uh, especially pretty recently in Luke's account of Jesus' life. You remember last week, uh, we, we saw Jesus approach Jericho, and there uh, he came across this poor, blind beggar uh, who through the eyes of faith was able to recognize, able to see his own great need, and he was also able to see the reality of who Jesus was. Notice here, as Jesus actually enters Jericho, he, he encounters someone who is almost the complete opposite of that man. At least in worldly terms, this Zacchaeus is the complete antithesis of that blind beggar that Jesus healed last week. And I want you to notice that, that though he was short in stature, we're going to take note of that later, now I want you to see that he was not lacking, he was not short in at least three things. First, notice he was not lacking in power. Power. Uh, notice Luke says he is a chief tax collector. Now that's the only time in Scripture where that title is used. And so 
There's a lot of debate on exactly what it means. But Jericho was a, a hub, a center for tax collecting. There was three big cities that, that people would come to to give their taxes, and Jericho was one of those cities. And so what most people believe is that Zacchaeus was sort of like this uh, manager, maybe a supervisor of the other tax collectors. There, He's kind of a, a kingpin, you might even say. Uh, for some reason this week, I have pictured him sort of like Godfather-esque, like, you know, slick back hair, like, well, we won't repeat the lines from the God, but you know what I'm talking about, right? You know what, what we're getting at. I don't know if that's an accurate picture of Zacchaeus, but that's what I've had in my mind. He, he was a man who had authority. Maybe not respect, because we're going to see the people didn't like him at all, but he did have some level of authority there in Jericho. Secondly, notice he's not lacking in riches. Because he has this position... And because he's a tax collector, he is able to skim off the top of everybody's taxes, right? That was their MO. That was the reason why people didn't like them, why they hated them. But for Zacchaeus especially, because he was kind of this kingpin, it was kind of like a Ponzi scheme, right? He was the guy at the top of the pyramid. So not only was he taking his own from his own people that he was collecting taxes from, but he was also collecting from all of the other tax collectors, and so what's that, what that has given him is what Luke says, great riches, right? There in verse 2 it says, and he was rich. He was rich. Now let's pause there just for a second. This is just a little side note. But I want you to, to think about what has come before. This is the second place where we really need to think back to what Luke has told us. Think back to the rich young ruler back in chapter 18. What was it that Jesus said about rich people? Basically, that it was impossible for them to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? That it was more likely for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. And so I tell you that because when Theophilus, the, the original reader of this book, when he read this account, and for all of us here, red flags ought to be going up. When Luke get, makes the point that he was rich, and he's about to encounter Jesus, red flags ought to be going up. What's going what's to happen here? If it's almost impossible, how is it that this is going to turn out well for Zacchaeus? So, he had authority, he had riches, and then lastly, he, he had enemies. He was not short in enemies. We've already uh, made this point several times in our study of Luke, uh, so we don't have to overdo it, but, but the Jews didn't like tax collectors, the Romans didn't like tax collectors, and most likely for Zacchaeus, even his fellow tax collectors didn't like him. He was reviled, he was reviled for his position, reviled for his, uh, his willingness to go to the other side, sort of, to work for the Romans, and he was reviled for the means that he used to attain all of this wealth he had. Put it shortly, Zacchaeus was the worst. He was the worst. So much so that, that when he wants to see Jesus, when he wants to get a glimpse of this friend of tax collectors when he comes to Jericho, that you can almost see the other people in the front kind of squeezing together, right? Zacchaeus is behind them, and they're not going to give him the satisfaction of being able to see Jesus. This is the one thing they had on him. He's a little short man, 
and they could keep him from getting this one thing that he wanted, which was seeing the Savior. But notice, Zacchaeus, to his credit, he won't be denied. Uh, you know, we, we made this point when we were studying the parable of the prodigal son, but, but it is, in that culture, uh, it, it was uh, uncivilized for a man of any type standing to run. But notice, that's exactly what Zacchaeus does here, right? Uh, when he can't see him, he runs. And if it was uncivilized for him to run, it was even far more uncivilized for him to go and climb a tree. But that's what he does. He's determined to see the Savior. And so what we have here is a sinful little man in a tree. Secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice a sovereign Lord in a sinner's house. Sovereign Lord in a sinner's house. Now, it's here uh, that the story takes an interesting turn. Up until this point, it has seemed that Zacchaeus was the one who was seeking Jesus, right? And to his credit, he was seeking Jesus for whatever reason. We don't know. Maybe he just heard that, that Jesus had befriended tax collectors before. Maybe he was just curious about him. I don't know. Maybe he was a celebrity and he wanted to see the celebrity. For whatever reason, he was seeking Jesus. But notice, as he climbs the tree, and as the Savior passes that way, as we sing in the song, who speaks? Does Zacchaeus look down from the tree and say, Hey, Jesus! Hey, I'm up here. Stop and come talk to me. Come to my house. Oh, it's not what happens. It's Jesus, as the song says, who looks up in the tree and notice what he says to him, because it's really important. He says, come down, not just I'm going to your house today, but I must, I must go to your house today. This is not just a friendly request. This is not just, hey, Zacchaeus, I see you up there. I've heard about you. I'm ready for you to come along. This is a demand. This is the sovereign Lord calling to one of his own. And notice how he calls him. This is, the, this is one of the things that really has stuck with me this week about this story. He says, Zacchaeus, you come down. Zacchaeus! Again, maybe, maybe when he entered the city, maybe the people had said, hey, you better watch out for that Zacchaeus guy. He's a tax collector. He'll take all your money. Or maybe as they were approaching the tree, they could see him up in the tree, and they might say, hey, look at Zacchaeus in that tree. What is he doing? So maybe Jesus had heard the name. Friends, the reality is, if we believe in a sovereign God, if we believe what Ephesians 1 says, that when Jesus passed that tree that day, he knew his name because he had known it from the very foundations of the world, right? He had known it well before he entered Jericho. This is the sovereign Lord, again, the sovereign Lord calling to one of his own. I don't want to go too far here, but I just want you to consider how different this is from the picture that so many people have of Jesus today. We picture him as this poor guy 
standing up there somewhere, just waiting on somebody, anybody, to come to him. That, that he's given this offer and it's out there and hopefully, maybe, somebody will take him up on this offer. That's a lie. That is a lie. Our God is a sovereign God. And he is sovereign over salvation, just like he is sovereign over everything else. And so when he saves, he's not wringing his hands, hoping that one of us will come. He calls. This is what we call effectual calling, right? He comes to us, and he says, Zacchaeus. He says, Stephen. He says, Dr. Lord, whatever. He says our name because we belong to him. And friends, praise God he does do that. Because does, do any of us believe that if he had not done this for Zacchaeus, that Zacchaeus would have come? He had, we, we've seen the kind of man that Zacchaeus is. We've seen how he acts, what, the kind of things, the kind of sinner he is. What makes us believe that, that he would choose to follow this Savior? What makes any of us believe we would choose to follow this Savior if it was left up to us? Because we wouldn't. But here, here, the, the Lion of Judah, the, the judge of all the earth, the king who rules all things, he calls. I love what Matthew Henry says. He says, Jesus brings his own welcome. And he opens the heart and he inclines it to receive him. All of us, whether we are rich or poor, we came into this world dead in our sins and our trespasses. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. And if that's true, what can a dead person do for themselves? The answer is nothing. A dead, per dead person can do nothing for themselves. And so, it is Christ who, who must do what he says there in verse 10. He must seek and he must save the lost. And thank God, thank God that he has come to do that and that salvation is even for people like Zacchaeus. All glory and all praise belongs to him. Well, Jesus, he calls, and Zacchaeus, you can almost see him running down the tree, right? I must go to your house. And so he gets out of that tree as fast as he can. Because the Savior must come to his house. Now, not unexpectedly, notice how the, the people react there. Uh, they see Jesus, once again, uh, hanging out with the bad folks, and they don't like it. They say, this man is going into the house of a sinner to eat. Again, they weren't wrong. You know, as we've established, Zacchaeus, he, he was sort of a bad guy, maybe even the worst kind of guy. And so not only was Jesus in their eyes, you know, doing something that nobody should do, hanging out with this person, but he was also putting his own cleanliness, right, his, his religious cleanliness in jeopardy by hanging out with someone who is this bad. But what they didn't realize... And what we all need to realize is that Zacchaeus was just the kind of guy that Jesus had come to save. He was just the kind of person, those who were lost, that he had come 
to seek. His goal, his mission, friends, the heart of our Savior is for sinners. And that is, that is a joyful thing to say. If you're a sinner, and you are, then knowing that his heart is for you, he loves you, he cares for you, he wants to see you come to salvation. Friends, what a joy that is. That's outstanding news. And so before we move on to our final point, let me just say, if you're here this morning and you're weighed down by sin, if you feel like you are going to break under the weight of guilt that is upon you, friends, let me point you to Zacchaeus. He was a man weighed down, whether he realized it or not, weighed down with sin and guilt, the worst kind of man. Yet Jesus, this Savior, was able to, to save him. If he can save Zacchaeus, then surely he can save you. If he can save Paul, if he can save me, then surely he can save you. It's great news. We have a Savior who came to seek and to save the lost. Thirdly and finally in this passage, I want you to notice a faithful and repentant response. A faithful and repentant response. Now, last week with the, the blind beggar, we saw part of this and we saw it clearly. He, his was a, a faithful, um, almost penitent response. His was a faithful response to be sure. And we tried to work some of that out. Uh, but today we really get to see the, the other side of that coin, right? We, we talk about a two-sided coin of conversion, faith and repentance and those two things come together, and you see it here in the life of Zacchaeus. First, just quickly, notice the faith that, that he does express. He comes down from the tree joyfully, it says, to receive Jesus. And then when he addresses him there in verse 8, he says, Behold, Lord. Once again, uh, this, this Savior, Jesus, is no longer just a good teacher to him, but he is now master. He is now uh, the one who rules his life. He is now Lord of all things for Zacchaeus. And so he, he has placed his faith in Christ, but notice how that faith also works itself out, right? It's faith, but it's also repentance. His life can no longer be the same. And this is the point that I would submit to you our song, our children's song, leaves out. And it, it shouldn't leave this part out. We need to add another verse. I'll, Walt, wherever Walt is, do that. Add another verse to Zacchaeus and put this part in it, okay? We need this. Because Zacchaeus, Jesus doesn't just come to his house and everything is over. Notice how Zacchaeus responds. What's the idol of his heart? It's riches. It's his authority. It's all of the things he has built for himself. But notice the first place he goes to when he is converted. Note, what's the first thing he starts giving up? The thing that has been dearest to him. He says, All of my, half of my riches I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anybody, I will repay it four times over. This is repentance. He's turning away from his sin... And he's turning to Jesus. Again, this is what, what the rich young ruler could never do. It's what so many people today 
are unable to do as well, whether it's our money or whether it's drugs or popularity or power, whatever it may be, so many of us are unwilling to look away from the thing that gives us security, the thing that, that we think gives us peace, and in so doing, we miss the only one who can truly give us any of those things, right? Only Jesus can give us peace. Only he can give us real, lasting security, what, what the choir sang about, right? True conversion requires change. Not because that change saves us. Not, not because we have to do these things in order for Jesus to see us. Jesus called Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus did anything, right? Our obedience does not obligate God to us. But change is necessary because in Christ, all of our priorities are turned upside down. In Christ, the things that, that are valuable to us are different now. He sits on the throne of our hearts. No longer our money. No longer our idols. No longer the things that used to give us the comfort and peace we so desperately seek. Not only that, but if we've learned nothing else in Luke, it's that he will not take second place to anything, right? He will have one place. And it is the first place place of our heart. And so, like Zacchaeus, true faith, true conversion requires repentance. All of us today need repentance. Martin Luther once said, actually said in his 95 Theses, he said, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that the whole life of believers should be repentance. It's over and over and over again. We have need to run back to the cross to run back to our Savior, to confess our sins. In joy of joys, when we do that, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so my question to you is, what, what do you need to repent of? What, what, what repentance do you need today? It won't be hard to find. Whatever you value most, whatever you rest in the most, that's probably the thing you need to repent of the most. Unless it's Jesus, that's probably the thing, the place where you need repentance. Friends, for Christ's sake today, for the sake of your soul, will you turn away from whatever it may be and will you look to Jesus and him only? Like that rich young ruler, you may feel that that, that sort of repentance is impossible. You may feel like it is too much for you to do. And frankly, if it were left up to us, it would be impossible. But Zacchaeus, he shows us the truth here. Remember, we pointed back at the beginning. It's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But when we leave this story, what is Zacchaeus a member of? The kingdom of God. He was a rich man. How? Because what is impossible with man is possible with with God. He can do it. Look to him. Put your faith, put your hope in him. He will send his spirit. He will regenerate you. By faith, he will give you conversion. And by, through repentance, he will give you conversion. He can topple even the greatest idols of our hearts. Friends, today, if he is calling you, don't delay it. 
but joyfully receive this Savior, the Savior who gave all, even his very life to save sinners, Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, but he had an all-powerful Savior. Will you repent today and come to know this great Savior as we pray together? Father, we rejoice in these great stories that, that we all know so well how we love to tell them, how we love to hear them over and over and over again. And so, Lord, as we hear this one today, apply its truths to our hearts. Lord, we, we praise you that we have a sovereign God, God who rules over all things and who loves sinners. Lord, that is, it's amazing for it to even come out of my mouth. It, it sounds too good to be true. Father, that's what you have assured us of in your word. That's what you've assured us of in this story that you came to seek and to save the lost. Christ came. And so, Lord, help us to, to put our faith in him. Help us to turn away from our idols and look to him and hope and repentance. And God, we just pray that you would just continue to, to work out that salvation that you have begun in us so that one day we, we might see you in glory. Father, we look forward to that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.